0: You know, you know what GIF is appropriate for this? That GIF where like the girl is in, is in white face and she's painting on clown makeup. Yes, the clown. <laughs> that's the, G- that's the GIF for this situation. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: This is Alex.
0: And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. With all that out of the way, allow me to welcome you all to season seven of GBB Supernatural. Supernatural
1: is a season where we'll be discussing television series with supernatural elements, whether of the magical, mystical, or sci-fi variety. We'll be diving into alternate realities and giving our hot takes on supernatural heroes and villains. Today, Em and I will be starting things off with Roswell. This sci-fi drama about teen aliens struggling to fit in, navigate relationships, and stay alive was one of the hottest shows on TV back when it aired. Roswell jump-started the careers of some of the biggest names in television, both in front of and behind the camera, and left an indelible impression so great that it was rebooted 17 years after its finale. So how do we think the original Roswell has aged in the last 18 years, and what can we take away from the series? Stay tuned.
0: So Roswell is science fiction. It was created by Jason Kadams. It's based on the YA book series, Roswell High by Melinda Metz. Um, and the TV series is also known as Roswell High in some other countries outside the US. It was released October 6, 1999 and aired from that date until May 14th, 2002. It aired on the WB, and which was later rebranded as UPN, for a total of three seasons and 61 episodes. It has a spin-off, Roswell, New Mexico, which is based off the young adult book series Roswell, New Mexico, also written by Melinda Metz. The series stars Cherie Appleby as Liz Parker, Jason Baer as Max Evans, Brendan Fair as Michael Guerin, Catherine Heigel as Isabel Evans, Max's sister, Mahondra Delfino as Maria DeLuca, Colin Hanks as Alex Whitman, Nick Welcher as Kyle Valenti, William Sadler as Sheriff Jim Valenti, Kyle's dad, Emily DeLavine as Tess Harding, and Adam Rodriguez as Jesse Ramirez. So these are our major players for Roswell. So let's jump things, just jump right into season one. As we said, this is a WB-UPN joint. So no little eight, 10 episode seasons here. We kick things off with a whopping 22 seasons, 22 episodes in that first season. So let's jump into it.
1: Right. So Roswell, I know we just said it was like a hit, but actually Roswell is a true blue, like cult classic. At the time, it I mean, it was canceled because it was not a hit, because people would not watch it. But it had an extremely loyal and dedicated fan base, and people really loved it. So I think the history of Roswell is super interesting. But Roswell is helmed by um, Jason Kadams, who we know because from My So-Called Life, he was a writer on My So-Called Life, and he was the one that sort of h- helmed and put Roswell together, so which is real cool. But we kick off uh, this first season with, we jump right into the action. It's actually a really, it's a really good, like that pilot is like a really good pilot. Um, It's a really good opening, like within the first five to 10 minutes, we meet Liz Parker, our protagonist, for better or for worse. She's our entryway into the show, and she is a teen girl, and she works at her family's uh, restaurant in Roswell, New Mexico, called The Crashdown, And her best friend, Maria, works with her. And while they're, you know, serving shakes and burgers, minding their business, you know, some white men with a gun <laughs> have a fight. And Liz is shot. Liz is bleeding out and dying on the floor. And suddenly, to her, who, who comes to her rescue? None other than Max Evans, who heals her with his special alien powers Um, she doesn't know he's an alien yet she just knows he has special powers and he heals her he tells her not to tell anybody and he breaks a bottle of ketchup and like throws it all over her so that people think the bottle just broke and and that's how we jump into the story that's that's where we are
0: right um we should also point out that the show is set in Roswell New Mexico which is famous um in real life because it is rumored to be the site of an uh, an alien landing um crash landing in the 60s and so the show all, the show kind of rides the coattails of those rumors what if aliens had landed there <laughs> you know
1: you clarified that and i was like wait do people really need to clarify like what roswell is and then i remembered we have international listeners
0: <laughs> yes yes we do we do we absolutely have international listeners thank you guys for looking out thank you guys you. um we appreciate you in holland um in south africa
1: <laughs> yeah South Africa, shout out uh in spain and ukraine thank you you guys
0: i do want to point out too that um jason Katims is probably best known for in recent years anyway friday night lights and parenthood in these two things he proved two things friday night lights he proved that he knows how to work with a cast of teen characters and in parenthood he prove that he knows how to work with a very large cast and tell a really complicated story with multiple characters. With Roswell, however, I felt like he was still putting on his training wheels, and I'll talk more about that when we get to season three, because I feel like the writing by the end of season two and for most of season three was kind of all over the place. Roswell was a really early joint for him.
1: So Roswell is adapted from a set of teen like YA novels called uh, Roswell High. By Melinda Meth. He said that when he was originally adapting Roswell, like he didn't really think it was gonna be like a sci-fi show. And I was like,
0: wait, what? This is definitely training wheels for me. Cause um, how do you read something like that and not understand that it's inherently sci-fi? He's
1: just he's, <laughs> he was just like, Oh, I didn't think like, he's like, this wasn't my original vision for the show. Like, he's like, it sort of he talks about how like it ended up becoming like the sci-fi thriller. And he's like, that wasn't, he's like, it wasn't really my vision for the show. And it's, and he's like, it's not what I do. Like he even admits that himself. He's like, he's like my roots and my like learning of how to write television was in my so-called life. So I write things that are like character driven, that have like these really deep, like emotional truths to them. like stories that are like kind of smaller. And with Roswell, it was just sort of out of his zone which fair but then it's also like i don't know
0: i think you're being much much more gracious about this than i am because for me this only makes my feelings about the writing in season 3 that much stronger he does do good work with these kind of slice of life character driven stories like we, like we said when we reviewed parenthood for the family season he knows what he's doing and this is this show is definitely like Um, the blueprint for how to write with a large ensemble cast. It's so well-written. But fam, if you don't do sci-fi and you know you don't do sci-fi and that's what the kids tuned in for, maybe step out of the way. (laughs) And let somebody else do the job. (laughs) Everything ain't for everybody. And you clearly said this isn't for you. so. So what happens? But like...
1: Maybe because it's like, I just have such an appreciation for his later work that I'm like, it's okay. Like, so you have a done. You don't have happens. to be good at everything. Fam. You don't have
0: to, you don't be, have good to be, good be good at everything. Listen, Beyonce okay. can act. It's okay. Like, exactly. It ain't for everybody. It ain't for everybody. And And you have such, he has such good works under his belt. But I really feel, and I know, I know. Don't make everything about race. Um, but I feel like if it, this was a white, uh, this was a black woman that had kind of like let this show go sideways the way that the show went, went sideways in that last season, she probably wouldn't have been had the opportunity to work on a Friday Night Lights or a Parenthood. That's um, fair. Jason Cadams bounced back from this, and like I said, I like it was very hard for me to follow some of the storylines on this show post season one, because you can, you can almost feel that shift of when it stops being sci-fi or it stops being as sci-fi as it should, or the sci-fi elements just truly don't make any sense.
1: They too. They, and you know what? You're right. It, it gets lost. Even in that first season, even in this first season, it gets lost and it gets convoluted. There are parts where I'm like, okay, like, They understand this is a show about aliens, right? (laughs) Like, they get that, right? How much of this show do we want to be science fiction and how much of this show do we want to be about, like, growing up and coming of age?
0: Right, and I feel like the coming of age stuff should have been in the periphery of the sci-fi elements, right? Like, it's always something that's there, but it's not the focal point. And unfortunately, we got the reverse. And it's like, on several occasions, you would get this, you would get an episode and it would almost be like the writers just realized, oh, right, this is supposed to be sci-fi. And they just chuck a bunch of sci-fi at you at once. It <laughs> <laughs> am just like, yo, relax, you guys. But like, imagine if Marty Noxon became the showrunner of Buffy and then said, well, I didn't realize the show was supposed to be about supernatural stuff. <laughs>
1: right it's like i didn't realize it was, there was supposed to be vampires
0: y'all yeah, would have never forgiven a woman for that y'all yeah, barely forgave her for how she did run the show which in my opinion she did nothing wrong with
1: right she i mean she probably did one of the most important like at least looking back at it now one of the most important and groundbreaking seasons
0: about roswell's the season one like Alex said starts with Max using his super alien powers to save Liz's life from a gunshot wound that would have absolutely been fatal. And Liz doesn't want to leave well enough alone. So she tests his DNA, figures out that he's not human, confronts him about it, And then Max does something that will pretty much be a standard of his personality throughout the series. He doesn't just admit to this girl that he's an alien. He tells her that his sister and their best friend Michael are also aliens and essentially throws them under the bus with him. (laughs) Which they are reasonably angry about. (laughs) Right? Like, expose yourself if you want to, but why you got to throw the family into this? So, like... And all because he has a feeling that he can trust this girl. It's crazy. It's crazy to me because like Max is like the unofficial leader of that th- group of three aliens. He, his sister, Isabel and their friend, Michael. And he's constantly trying to clock their movements and who they talk to and who they trust and who's in their inner circle. But he always feels like his, his judgment is beyond reproach. Now, is Liz a trustworthy person? Yes. But you don't know that just because you have a crush on her. It's crazy to me. And then Liz tells her best friend, Maria, literally within 10 viewing, like 10 audience minutes of Max telling her, she tells her best friend, Maria. Right. Which is like, bitch, what? <laughs> now, is Maria a trustworthy person? Yes. But we don't know that just because she's your best friend, Liz. right for me i think this was a really good way to start it and a good way to incorporate both the sci-fi and the teen elements because sci-fi element he can heal people with his hands yay teen element these hoes ain't loyal like they can't shut up (laughs) so so something that is legitimately cool about roswell
1: is that like it does have a lot of that like my so-called life energy to it i think that's a big part of like what made this show work
0: i agree with that i think we do get like a a touch just a touch of the angela character in the Liz character um starting with the fact that liz is our narrator she's our narrator for most of the show she even keeps this journal which plays a big part in this earlier season as well because homegirl's journal goes missing and guess what she wrote in that journal all the
1: stuff everything (laughs) oh gosh i remember that episode that like literally Oh, yikes. Like, I was like, bitch, like, how are you going to write? Oh, my gosh. Like, what are you, Why? Like, what was the reason? Like,
0: oh, no. <laughs> maybe it's just me, but I feel like journals are to write about your experiences and things about your life and the people in your life that you want to remember. But maybe because I had my journal read when I was a kid. I write my journal in such a way that I won't be utterly humiliated if someone finds it. And no one in my life would be exposed if it was read. Liz wrote all of their shit in her journal. She's written everything. Crossed every I, dotted every T in that journal. Their other best friend, so Maria and Liz are best friends and they have like a third Alex he eventually learns the secret as well and then Liz's ex-boyfriend
1: Kyle figures them out and then Kyle's dad figures them out but that's because he's a grown-up he figures it out season one because the whole thing is by the end of season one sheriff valenti is the adult literally in the room re-watching i was like oh he's like a really cool character because sheriff valenti's father kyle's grandfather was a disgraced law enforcement agent because he was like no aliens exist and sheriff valenti's whole life as a kid was consumed with watching his father sort of be laughed at and mocked and and his life go down the drain because he was insistent about the existence of these aliens. And so it becomes all the more interesting when uh, we eventually see Sheriff Valenti go on that
0: journey as well. Right. And I think it's interesting that you say Sheriff Valenti is the adult because of all the people in their lives. We have Isabel and Max who were adopted by humans. We have Michael's foster father who is human We have Liz's other coworkers who are human. It took Sheriff Valenti, who doesn't really have any daily interpersonal interaction with these aliens to figure out that they're aliens. He doesn't live with these kids and he figured out something their parents couldn't figure out.
1: There's a lot of stuff in this season. There's a lot of themes and thoughts that I think the show touches on that's very interesting, particularly this theme that will be consistent through season one and season two of home and finding home. Max, Michael, and Isabel are aliens. They're not from Earth. And they all have this yearning or desire or thoughtfulness. What does home mean for them? What does it mean to go home? What does it mean to be home? And yearning for for knowing who you are and yearning for culture and connection. Max and Isabel don't feel this as deeply as Michael does. Max and Isabel, for the most part, are assimilated. And in fact, they have a fear of the truth about who they are. Whereas Michael, due to his foster father being violent and abusive, very much, uh, for the most part, seeks to to go home and be where he's he's really from. And all that stuff is very interesting to me.
0: Right. So I'm close with quite a few transracial adoptees. And re-watching the show with that perspective, I think a huge, huge parallels can be made between, you know, transracial adoption and Max and Isabel's situation. Yes, their human parents are white and they are also Caucasian for reasons, but they're not human and they're clearly trying to assimilate, partly because of how much they love how loved they feel by their human caretakers, right? Whereas Michael does not want that because he always imagines that whatever life, whatever homeland they're from is better than the pain he's enduring in his current home situation. In this need to assimilate, we see a lot of Max and Isabel's insecurities. Michael leans into being an alien. Michael doesn't necessarily feel the shame that Max feels about being an alien. Like, Max likes having powers for, so, for sure, and he feels like, but like, the thing is, and this is this is part of why I feel like this is one of Jason Bear's best roles as um, Max. Max constantly feels and looks, is visibly uncomfortable with being an alien. He is. Yeah, right. The last time I saw a character this uncomfortable with who they are, (laughs) ironically enough, it was the um, Jack character on Dawson's Creek. Yeah,
1: I know. I see it. Rewatching, I I also caught those, like, whether the show intended it or not, whether the writers intended it or not, there are definitely these huge parallels to, like, transracial adoption, which, considering how it plays out is like, ugh, it's kind of (laughs) ugly.
0: Right. After Max basically betrays Isabel and Michael and exposes them um, along with himself to Liz and subsequently Maria and Alex, Isabel is justifiably freaked out. And so she basically, she has powers too, all three of them do. So she basically, what's a nice way to say, mind rape. She mind rapes Maria just to be sure that Maria can keep their secret because she doesn't necessarily think that Maria would intent- would maliciously snitch. But she doesn't think she thinks that Maria is too fidgety, too anxious to be trusted to hold their secret. And she basically jumps into this girl's head and rifles through there to figure out if Maria can be trusted, which is strange. Right.
1: right. So like one of um, one of Isabel's powers, powers is that like she's like a dream walker she can just go into their thoughts and see what's in there. That's a very invasive thing to do. Uh, and she she just does it kind of flippantly.
0: Yeah, I guess, in the show kind of makes it clear that she's done this to people before, and I think that's why she's, she's so nonchalant about it. One of the cool things about seeing Katherine Heigl in this role, when we reviewed Dawson's Creek, I did make mention that she was considered for the role of Jen Lindley, but she ultimately declined it herself. Um, I would have liked to see what she would have done with the Jen Lindley character, even though I lo- absolutely love Michelle Williams and her portrayal of that character. But I can say with certainty, I don't think I would have wanted to see any other actress portray Isabel Evans. She had the right amount of just like vulnerability and sass and just kind of selfishness that I think Isabel needed. Right. You know, Is-
1: Isabel has a lot of bad bitch energy and like so does Catherine Heigl, at least at this point. Isabel's like confident and she knows what she wants and she just kind of does whatever she wants to do kudos really to Catherine heigl because i don't think the show quite knows who Isabel is actually for for a long time but Catherine heigl just fills Isabel out just off of the strength of her alone so shout out to shout out to her
0: I agree with that. I don't really think they had fully conceptualized Isabel or Max for that matter. I think Michael was a better realized character coming into season one than the two of them were. I agree with that. But yeah, Catherine Hagwood did what she had to do. And she always seemed tall on screen, but then I, I got my Trusty 17 magazine and I found out that she was like 5'10, 5, 5'11". 5, I was like, oh my God, a tall heroine. I stand. <laughs> <laughs> um i I love her
1: midway through season one due to sheriff valenti's great detective work and them sort of keeping their own tabs the crew discovers that there's like another alien out there besides them and that this alien has been killing people His name is Nesedo. And not only is Nesedo out there, but there is a fourth alien. The whole thing is like they came out pods, and there Mm -hmm. were four pods, but only three of them exited. So they know that there's a fourth out there somewhere. They never went looking for that fourth, because why bother? Because they set off some device that they found in their hatch pods. Nesedo finds them and comes to Roswell to meet up with them. But they're, you know, hesitant because like we said, Niseido's been killing people. But let's be clear. Niseido has been killing their enemy. People that would hunt them down, uh, kidnap them, experiment on them, and such.
0: Right. So, yeah, he's not just kill- murdering indiscriminately. <laughs> let's just put that out there. He is trying to help them because they are teenagers. They are dumb. And one of the things about being a teenager is, feeling, is thinking that every feeling that you feel, you're the only person who's ever felt it. And I guess for them, this extends to their situation of being aliens and thinking that um, despite the fact that it's a great big world, there are the only three aliens in it. But he shows up and we have another alien that shows up called Tess. Yes. And she is the fourth. That's like yes. the big
1: turn. So let's talk about Tess Harding. Let's talk about her introduction. So Tess is, is the fourth alien and she arrives along with Niseido because we basically we find out that, that Max, Isabella, and Michael came out the pods before they were supposed to and that Niseido had been sent there to be all four of their guardians. And when he finally got there and found the pod, Tess was still there. Niseido raised Tess, but the other three were gone and he didn't know where they were and couldn't find them or whatever.
0: I want to talk really briefly about my earlier point on transracial adoption and how like it messes with people, and you have the Max and Isabel types, and then you have the Michael types. Tess is the third type. Tess is the one who was adopted, yes, but she wasn't. It wasn't what you would I would equate to a transracial adoption. She was raised by one of her own, and how this drastically gives her a drastically different frame of reference and mindset than the other three.
1: Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna get into to that part of it like a bit later, but let's get into that now. So. Yeah, Tess is raised by Nisato, and it and when we learn more about Tess's character, it shows. It shows in the way of like, it's not that she hates humans. She's just she just knows she's not one. (laughs) It's not her struggle.
0: Like she's not trying to be a token alien.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and she's not trying to be a token alien. She's just she just is who she is, and she has the strongest connection. And even though she is part human and she grew up in the human world. It's She does have the strongest connection to what being an alien is. And she's solid in it. And there's nothing really about Max or Isabel or their extending drama that, like, rocks her. This is in season two, but she makes this remark, I don't get wrapped up in this. When Max is sort of, like, apologizing to her, she means, like, you know, human, Earth. Like, this is not real like it's temporary. For her, the planet that they're from is very real. It's very present in her mind. It's it's not this dream. It's not this far away thing. It sort of reminds me of somebody who has like been to their home country. She has a real connection to their home culture.
0: Right. And m- meanwhile, they from a young age, for better or for worse, have been connecting to these humans humanity and this planet that's not theirs like cuz like we said earlier michael may not love their situation but his his relationships with humans has been the bulk of his life just like max and isabel he did he didn't have anyone telling him about his home their cultures their community anything just like max and isabel um she actually has a connection to home she and she wants it she's not really trying to stay here and play human with the rest of them <laughs>
1: right she's not um and this will come up more like in stuff when we talk about season two but i want to talk about how her characters introduced because i know we're like sexism patriarchy but like seriously sexism patriarchy so i remember when i initially ro- watched roswell i did not hate the test character the way that most people hated the test character i remember actually really loving the Tess character and it's interesting because even now if you find people talk to people about Tess even if they haven't seen the show in a long time they're like oh I hate her they're like oh god I hated Tess like I hate her and when the show aired originally that was also like a thing like people hated her in the same way that like people hated like Skylar like she was universally almost universally hated. Rewatching the series, I realize now why because the writers introduced her in the most sexist fashion and they frame a bunch of things within the narrative to be Tessa's fault that isn't really her fault and has absolutely nothing to do with her.
0: <laughs> right. Um it's so strange to me how this test character came about now Yes, I feel like she was hated on a similar level to the Skylar character. I actually think they hated Skylar Mo- more, <laughs> but it was very similar. And, I, and I've and i seen similar issues with other characters on shows where, like, they'll give you a core cast, then they'll introduce this new character, and people will hate them on principle simply because they're new. And before someone comes for me about Dawn from Buffy, she shouldn't have been there, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> but- right. But Tess actually serves a greater purpose to the narrative, but because she's new and more importantly, because she threatens this attraction, this clandestine love between Max and Liz, we hate her because we feel like we have to hate her in order to be loyal to the Liz character. And then it's not even that. It's like, like, it, like.
1: sorry, no, it is that, but it goes so much deeper because... Um, And I wrote, like, extensive notes on it. So I really want to talk about this because I really hate this writing. Like, so by the time Tess is introduced, Max and Liz are, like, an official thing. They're dating. They're together. Like, part of the whole Max-Liz construction... Is that you know that they're meant for each other or whatever, because like when they kiss, she has like flashes, these quote unquote flashes that happen between them, and she basically like knows his soul when they kiss or some bullshit, dumbass shit like
0: that. Um Yeah, you know that's that's that Ed- that was Edward and Bella before we had Edward and Bella.
1: <laughs> Tess rolls through. She's just this new nice ass girl. And she's trying to be friends with Isabel because she has no freaking friends because she's new and Max just immediately hates her. It's not that he immediately hates her because he hates her because he's just inherently suspicious. It's because he's attracted to her. That's why he hates her. And, And then Max of his own volition, of his own volition, this is not like a mind warp, which we find out later is like, that's like a thing Tess does. It's not like a dream walk. It's not anything. Max starts dreaming about her. When he kisses Liz, he has like a flash of Tess instead. When the teacher assigns Tess to be his lab partner, because now there's like an odd number in the class or whatever, he has this full on fantasy about like fucking her in front of the entire class. And the show frames it in a way that all of these things that Max is feeling of his own volition is somehow Tess's fault. Like, Somehow it's Tessa's fault that he's fantasizing about fucking her in front of the class.
0: Right. And the thing is, I can actually see why Max would feel that perhaps Tess is messing with his mind in some way. But like you said, why would the the writers frame it that way for the audience Audience is the problem. Especially when they framed his relationship with Liz as very romantic, sweet, clandestine, and pure. And they're framing this as something hypersexual, slutty, and dirty. The antithesis of all things good and she's just this harlot and she's this distraction and she literally has not done anything
1: anything she has not done a single solitary thing and then the and then the cherry on top of like this shit sexist writing is when max is like feeling a type of way about him uh, fantasizing about Tess. so he goes to liz liz is closing down the crash down for the night and it's raining. Uh, it's not actually raining, but shout out to what the the rain effects on the the studio lot. <laughs> God, <laughs> let me tell you something. I love these '90s effects. <laughs> but um, he goes to Liz and he he's like, "I only have eyes for you. I just want to let you know. Like, it's all about you, girl." He gives her this great romantic kiss, and he leaves. Tessa's her car has broken down, and like like you can see the car, and you can see the smoke coming from the car. And she's like, oh, my God, Max, like, I'm so glad that you're here. Can you help me? My car has broken down. And he's like, like, why are you here? And she goes, because my car broke down. <laughs> um, right. And he's like, you're he's like, you're doing this. You're doing this on purpose. It's you. It's you. And she goes, no, like, I just my car. And he and then he um, he's like, you know, I love Liz. I'm in love with her. She's like, yeah, I'm sure you are in love with her. I don't doubt that. He goes, I want to be with her forever. She's like, great, congrats. Like, I'm happy for you, dude. And then he kisses her and it's a great looking kiss. But um, he made that choice to cheat on Liz and somehow it is still framed as Tessa's fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just want to re- reiterate, he kissed her. <laughs> <laughs> Same, reiterate, he kissed her. Let's get into more of this idea of Tess being the fourth, or this this reality of Tess being the fourth. What does that mean? Well, apparently, Tess, Michael, Max, and Isabel are alien-human hybrid clones of their former selves on their home planet, where Max was king, Tess was his wife, Michael was second-in-command, and Isabel was, of course, Max's sister and Michael's fiance. Those were their roles in their life. And and ironically enough, and I think it's because they are hybrid clones, they have almost seamlessly fallen back into these roles on Earth, or, or at least the role of Mike, Max being the leader. They've fallen, they still fallen back into that role, where Max is the leader, right? Even though Michael has his thing going on with Maria, and Isabel has a, a burgeoning relationship with Alex this season, they still are following that blueprint of Max being the leader, and unfortunately what he tells himself psychologically is one thing but his body wants Tess, and he wants they want to he wants to reenact that relationship too let's be real and as much as he wants to assimilate into humanity the fact of the matter is i wholeheartedly feel this i will always feel this in regard to these characters part of the attraction he feels for Tess is because he knows she's one of him like she's like him
1: Right. And it's like, and this is a concept that the show kind of touches on in the second season, but never fully goes in on, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it is unfortunate because, and like, the reason I feel that way is because he really doesn't have the emotional rapport with Tess that he has with Liz. I can't really think of any other good reason for this raging chemistry between them other than they both know that they belong together.
1: Tess is a really sweet girl. I like the character because I think her. she's clear in a way that the others aren't. But the way that the show just and the writers just end up like slut shaming and like framing her as this whore is unfortunate. And like it never lets up, even though she doesn't do anything.
0: <laughs> I mean, she's a pretty voluptuous, petite blonde girl who's not his sister. Of course, she's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, she's a problem. <laughs> so, um, we have to make a problem. We have to create a, a distraction. And the Kyle issue has been resolved because Liz has broken up with Kyle by this point. So, we need another obstacle in the form of a person. So, let's just throw Tess in to be the obstacle, which is unfortunate because I think her character deserved better. And I think that they, particularly Michael, who wants to know more about their home, could have learned a lot from her if it wasn't for all this extra side shit.
1: Which all these ideas are sort of expanded on in season two. So season one ends, basically, Max gets got by the FBI, basically because he didn't listen to and Nesato and did some shit that he wasn't supposed to do. He gets got. They have to break him out from getting tortured, and they do, and Kyle gets shot, but then Max heals him. and Which is sh- how he learns, right? Right. It's how he, like, knows for sure, for sure that something inky is going on. Although he had an idea before. Kyle is inducted into the Scooby Club. And all of this stuff about Tess being the fourth and their sort of, like, royalty. And they're all destined for each other. That all comes full circle.
0: I do want to point out that after they learn this information... Liz decides, and this is important because she's going to renege on this decision, but she decides to pull away from Max so that he can fulfill his destiny. Sure, Jan.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's how season one ends. But uh,
0: so season one, what do we think of season one? Season one, I thought there were some really great highlights in season one. It's particularly Michael getting emancipated. I thought that was really, really great arc for him. His character needed that because he's got some real anger management issues. We'll talk more about that later. I love Jason Bear's acting. This show really showed to me that he can act. I'd seen him floating around on various shows on the WB. Like he'd played Chris, a guest character on Dawson's Creek on a couple episodes, but um, he really brought it to the fo- the forefront. This is the first thing I'd ever seen Cherie Appleby in, and I was really impressed with her performance as Liz. I was really impressed with um, Mahondra Delfino as well. I really thought they should have developed the Maria character more throughout, but Season one, I think, was probably the first and last season where we're going to get really balanced writing insofar as the teen elements and the sci-fi elements. So I'm going to give season one a good. What about you? Um, I'm giving it a
1: good minus. Uh, And I'm giving it a good minus because, like, that um, truly—the minus comes from the truly sexist, I think, writing with regards to Tess. Um, I can't let that slide, particularly because I know that Jason Kadams knows better because he came off of My Soul Called Life, which I think um, did a real good job of creating conflict between the teen female characters without devolving into sexism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know he knows how to do it. He just chose not to. And that gets a minus. So that definitely puts it at a minus for me. But, um, But the good parts are very good. Um, I love the smaller character-driven moments from the teens. I think that's really great. I really love Liz initially, at least. <laughs> um, don't know how much I love her in the next two seasons, but initially I really like her. What's good is, is really good, but like, my God, that whole Tess is a whore because she's there and she's pretty is like not not okay for me.
0: Yeah, I don't like it. Tess deserved better and I feel like in seasons 2 and 3 they tried to do image repair for her character but it's too little too late.
1: It's way too little too late. I understand the vision for for Tess like they're trying to set up a love triangle but it's way too late. Like if you wanted to do that story she needed to come in at the end of the po- at the end of the pilot. You know what I mean? Mhm. She like you you should have introduced her character way earlier. Cause then at least this whole tug and pull between does Max love Liz? Does he love Tess? Who knows? Like that would have been more well received. And and you know me, I'm a big believer in that, like obviously there are gonna be things that happen because they happen. But you do, as a writer, you do have a significant amount of control of how an audience is going to receive a character. And I hate it when you when they just, like, write these characters to intentionally be hated. Um, I think that's lazy. I think you have a responsibility as a writer to 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 do better by your characters, at least.
0: Right. Or if you want me to hate this character, give me a legitimate reason to hate them. Actually make her a villain, if that's what you wanted. Season two. 21 episodes man this i want to say as few as four episodes in and i feel like i'm being generous this shit goes off the rails
1: right i will say though this is the season that i kyle became my absolute favorite
0: (laughs) same same i was like kyle's not a piece of shit because low-key i was kind of hoping he would accidentally die all of season one oh he's not even that mean in season one he's just he's not mean in season one he's just irritating like he's always in the way they always gotta hide some shit because kyle might find out just kill him already (laughs) so (laughs) so after he finds out their secret and he kept that shit to himself which is like more than we can say for liz (laughs) i was like i fuck with kyle i really do yeah so kyle like
1: goes basically like kyle finds out aliens are real everything happens that happens and kyle in order to to deal becomes a buddhist and i'm like you know what kyle went away to football camp and then became a centered healthy human being you do that kyle like you get out here and you grow i mean how often does that happen (laughs) am i right am i right right (laughs) I'm like, look at him got centered, got healthy mentally via b- Buddhism. You go you get out here and you you do things, Kyle. You're going to you're going to go places, sir.
0: Kyle low key had the most healthy growth of all the characters on Roswell. Everybody. Kyle really leveled up. He became a better person, a better son, a better friend throughout the course of the series.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, at the beginning of season two, Nisato, who is, you know, their protector for better or for worse, the alien that raised Tess, he is killed.
0: And yeah, he's killed. Congressman Whitaker kills him. Yeah,
1: he's killed by a new mysterious enemy called the Skins. And we find out later that Congresswoman Whitaker was a Skin. We find out that the Skins are a rival group from their home planet. And more specifically, they are a group that ousted Max from the throne. They staged a coup de grace. The Skins' leader, Kavar, replaced him on the throne. And and that's why they were like put in the pods and sent to Earth so that one day they could grow up and learn about their home planet and then return and then rescue the people because essentially there's like an ethnic cleansing currently happening on their home planet.
0: Right. Um, So the skins magically just showed up in season two. They haven't been here the whole time. The kids have been in the pods. They weren't here when the kids got out of the pods. They haven't been here for the last 17 years. They just showed up now. Yeah.
1: The reasoning is supposed to be that like, and Nisato says as much the little like, orb thingies the nerf footballs are like signals like nasedo's whole thing was like you got to be careful with the signals you can't just like use them or touch them or whatever because like you don't know who you're inviting to raw as well so at least that part made sense to me at the end of season one they set off those signal things so i'm like okay maybe they've always been here but they didn't know where to look now they're like oh got you and thus they came
0: yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but this is why you don't play with objects you don't understand. Um, <laughs> uh, Welp. Oops, well. who would have guessed? So the skins are a thing. They're an issue. I honestly would have liked it if like, they were fighting this covert war against the skins when we entered into season one. I think that would have been cool, but um, it is what it is. The skins show up in season two after they unintentionally signal them. Like I said, they keep trying for, I think, the first half of the season to keep incorporating the teenage elements with the sci-fi. One of the best ways that they do this is that Max from the future shows up. He shows up, he talks to Liz, and he tells her, listen, this is what's up. You being in love with Max, fuck shit up. He needs to be with Tess to save both his home planet and Earth. And the two of you are about to have sex soon and pretty much seal this deal, and that cannot happen you need to make him fall out of love with you. So she enlists Kyle's help, and she gets into bed with Kyle. And it, and Liz and Kyle essentially make it look like they just had sex, and that Max walked in on them having sex. And Max sees this, thinks that Liz cheated on him, and is devastated. Which was the goal.
1: When they do this, they're not Liz and Max aren't together. They're just like they're on a break. So basically, he's de- Max is angry at Liz for sleeping with someone while they weren't together.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, it does cross a little bit into nice guy territory, but in Max's defense, they were both still playing with fire. They were both still flirting and they were both, they both still had all these damn feelings for each other. And, you know, future Max made it very clear. Like you guys are going to go to this concert together. I even remember what concert it was. It was Gomez, which is one of my favorite bands. <laughs> you guys are going to go to this concert. You guys are going to fuck afterward. And then you'll be inseparable from that point onward. Do not let this happen and i think her enlisting kyle's help, kyle being her ex and not just some random guy, was a good way to make max think that they didn't have a future together. It doesn't make max stop loving her like she thinks it will. It just um it just gives him a a reason to finally sleep with tess. It's fucked up on the t- on tess's behalf, i'm sorry. It's really fucked up on
1: tess's behalf because like tess has gone through a lot. By the time that Liz, that Future Max shows up and Liz concocts this plan or whatever, Tess has lost the only parental figure she's ever had. Right. And they're all still super mean to her.
0: Like, like,
1: because. Right. like, I Naseda never,
0: was her father. Like, what do you guys understand? stand <laughs> so she's
1: dealing with all of this, like, alone. And then furthermore, when Liz concocts this plan, Liz doesn't. Even give a shit about the fact that not only has she been super mean to Tess, the one person who sort of feels neutral about her, which is Kyle, who she's sort of developing like a burgeoning relationship with. Liz doesn't even take into account the fact that, wow, Tess like really liked Kyle and then like here I went and did this like thing that might have hurt her as well.
0: Right, because she never had a chance with Kyle because when you push Max away, he went running to her for comfort.
1: It's such a testament to the Tess character because then when Max goes running to Tess for comfort to, like, talk after Liz has, like, done this thing, the fact that, like, Tess doesn't tell Max to just go fuck himself— is amazing she like is really sweet and she's nice and she like listens to him and she's like i'm sorry that happened
0: that really sucks anyway can we talk more about kyle really really quickly yeah, because kyle, kyle is the only person when nasedo bites the dust who even offers tess a place to live
1: right tess is basically orphaned and she doesn't have anywhere to live and uh, sheriff Valenti and kyle like take her in and for the first time she like sort of is like oh so like this earth thing can could be cool like this is
0: fine, right? Because she's been em- she's really being embraced by their family. Like, Ka has feelings for her, yes, but he's not he's not like trying to make moves on her or make her feel uncomfortable or pressured into something with him. And Sheriff Valenti, you know, treats her like one of his own children, um, like the, you know the daughter he never had or something. And it's a really healthy, stable environment. And she deserves it after the the, the all the shit that her kinfolk have put her through. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So Tess is starting to help Max and
1: Michael and everyone remember like their home planet and like who they were before and like these memory techniques or whatever. And through that they start getting closer. There's also an expansion of the mytho- of the mythology about them and their life on this home planet there's an amazing episode called Max in the City where like we see Max in New York City or like New York City at least in studio lots in Los Angeles um, mm-hmm. and we find out there are actually two sets of Max Isabel Tess and Michael so there was like one that was in Roswell and then there was one that was in New York
0: pods there was like a backup pod in case the first one failed i'm not sure why you would send them to the same country but go off y'all <laughs> um it's a whole planet but y'all send them to the same country okay and we learn
1: a lot about like who they were and i and that stuff is so interesting and i almost wish they never but they never follow up on it and i wish they had never introduced it if they they weren't gonna follow up on it. Cause a lot of it is like really cool.
0: Whatever happened to that group anyway? Because we know they, they had some friction, right? Like you they had a they had a whole sequence where New York Michael was trying to kill New York Max, right? Well and so was trying to get him hit by a car. So New York Michael
1: and Isabel did kill New York Max. They right. they murdered him straight up. So then they tried to murder Roswell Max and they fail. And when they fail, they kidnapped Tess. They kidnap Tess and and take her. And Tess, because she's a bad bitch, saves herself. No thanks to Max. Um, Max can only save Liz. He does not even know. He can't save Tess. Tess has to spend for herself. It's implied that Tess, like, murders. had, Had murdered them.
0: I mean, um... Say it louder, I guess. I mean, that's 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 the truth. Tess has to save herself and she has to save them. Um, you know, there was a whole episode where the Skins made everyone from Roswell disappear temporarily. Um, M- Maria and Liz were the only people that weren't disappeared because they were out of town at that moment. And Tess kills all but maybe one of the Skins who we see at the end of the episode. She later has to save herself and get rid of the New York clones. Um, it's always something... And there's always a reason why they can't be there for her. But it is what it is. She's clearly the most self-reliant and resourceful of that particular set. It is what it is. It is what it Um, is. But Um, then we learned a little bit more about the Isabel character. So back in their home planet, she was called Valandra... And she had an affair with an alien called Kavar. And she basically conspired with him against her brother, which is what allowed him to gain control of their home planet.
1: And we learn all this stuff via, like, exposition and and stuff. And this stuff is, like, at least for me, to me, it's, like, pretty cool. And it really was, like, so I was really, like, oh, like, I can't wait to see them go back to their home planet like this is all really interesting information but we never it never gets followed up on um which is like
0: we do like do revisit the valandra character in the awakening in season three but yeah we don't really do much with it and i think it could have been a great boon to the isabel character to kind of see like kind of do a thing of destiny versus choice we got something similar to that on tvd it just never goes
1: anywhere so it's like they created this whole thing but like they don't it doesn't go which is like ugh. i don't know whatever so the one other character who also doesn't particularly want to be human um or doesn't really have any sort of deep connection to to his life on earth is the Michael character. And in season two, there is a a plot. Uh, I call it the Lord Dupree arc. And we find, and basically we find out where Michael gets his human DNA. So we find Michael's quote unquote human family. And we discover that he is related to Lord Dupree. And it's interesting to me because they, Essentially, give Michael this arc that he needed to want to desire to assimilate so that they could then set up tests for the rest of the season to be the ultimate villain, basically, wanting to be an alien. The villainization stops when they introduce this Laurie Dupree arc, which is all about Michael finding his real family, quote unquote. The whole thing is like they're all human alien hybrids, and they all so there are people with a small gene defect that all their genes are taken from to create their human bodies, and Michael finds basically the the family that his that he that essentially he's made up of right, that mm-hmm. the alien DNA was compatible with the human DNA. And there's this whole arc and um, w- with this girl named Lori Dupree. And that's basically, Lori is essentially his great-great-grandniece or whatever. But he then comes to get to know her and know her family, and he really likes her. And they form a connection and form a bond and it's essentially an arc that's used to finally fully assimilate Michael and I hate it because they assimilate Michael for the purpose of villainizing Tess and then like yeah for saying that like basically like assimilation is all you should desire Mm
0: mm-hmm because it was a problem that Isabel and um, and Max originally had with Michael, even before Tess came into the picture. Like, why are you just so depressed? Stop talking about our home planet. We're here now. Like, get with the program. The show essentially says that everything that's wrong with either one of them is due to the fact that they don't want to assimilate. And so when, Mike, when Michael finally does it, it's like, well, Tess, what are you waiting on, girl?
1: It's indicative of why this idea of, like, it's important to have different types of people with different types of experiences... Um, right for shows because I think this is also a, a very white American way of thinking.
0: Right. We can, de- there's definitely a message to be made here about um, how white Americans think that immigrants, especially immigrants of color should behave in their countries. Right. Right. Alex dies this season and it's presumed that it's from suicide, but Liz starts investigating and she's learned otherwise. And, Alex's the sits the circumstances of Alex's death become like a huge thing in the back half of season two. Um, you know what happened to Alex? No one really knows. Um, but the further she digs into it, the more insidious the whole thing is. And it starts to unravel. She knows that Alex didn't kill himself, and then it's later confirmed by Isabel because she found out that Alex had bought concert tickets for them. And she's like, Why is he making plans for the future if he was trying to off himself? Something sounds funny. And ironically enough, her investigating Alex's death becomes the the, the thing, the new thing that drives a wedge between her and Max.
1: Right. For the first time, basically, within the narrative, we see Liz being ostracized from the group. I hate this plot, but, like, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a horrible plot. I think season two really did Liz and Tess absolutely no favors. I feel like they were in the right, and their intentions were good, and they did the right thing. But they're being villainized specifically because they're not doing what the Max character thinks they should be doing. (laughs) Right. And it's like, bitch, who the fuck are you, Max? (laughs) I mean, I even just hate the plot of, like,
1: Alex dying. Like, I don't think Alex had to die. I think he could have just moved away. Or if he dies, I would have just stuck with the fact that he was just in a car crash. He's like, that happens. Like, he he got in a car crash and he died. Like, that's real. Shit happens.
0: I didn't want the Alex character to die or to move away. I really feel like they dropped the ball in regards to him and trying to fully incorporate him into the character. Now, I don't know if he just wanted out of the show because I know um, this was around the time that he shot the film Orange County and he was doing a bunch of other indies that year and was getting like serious movie roles and maybe he wanted out. But even prior to this, like circa season one, I don't feel like he was integrated into the overall narrative the way that he should have. He was always on that peripheral of that group even though he was introduced to us as Maria and Liz's best friend
1: according to Ronald D. Moore on the DVD extras Colin Hanks was just busy they had written him in but then he left to go do another project so then they reintegrated him back into the story he had to leave again to go do something called Band of Brothers and then they reintegrated him again while this episode is happening he got an offer to go do Orange County and and then had a bunch of subsequent offers after that. No, Well, they all came together and they said that they all had this discussion. And they're like, well, we don't want to keep you from a career that's clearly taking off. And he's like, yeah, OK, bye. And he dipped. So like <laughs> that was the situation. He was just doing too much stuff outside of Rosal and he was getting bigger offers. So they were like, OK, you can go. Like, it's not a big deal. Um,
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad to see that, like, you know, like I said, I did, I, I was, I did have that idea in the back of my head because I know, like I said, he did Orange County around this time and he was doing other projects. So I'm glad to see that the writers didn't just drop the ball on him, but this, the narrative of Alex is dead. It was an accident. Oh no, it wasn't an accident. It was suicide. Oh, it wasn't suicide. It was murder. was kind of a lot.
1: (laughs) It was a lot and it wasn't necessary. I think part of the reason why Roswell works and why it was so good is because like you do like you said like i said you have these like really human elements your friend getting in a car accident one night or being like hit by a drunk driver and like they die that's like really real that's like it could, you could they could have just done that but like it's not it's not a alien murder or whatever you know their friend just got hit by a drunk driver and like he died and that sucks like that would have been completely sufficient for the rest of the season, but they turned it into this whole big thing and it's, it it wasn't good. It just wasn't good.
0: Yeah. And I think it was a way, I I honestly think they did this as a way to not completely, um, to kind of uh, honor the existence of the Alex character on the show. Like we're not just going to get rid of the character and pretend he wasn't here. We're going to get everyone involved in his life or whatever. Um, So I can kind of see what they were trying to do with that. It would have been a good way to sort of lean more heavily into the sci-fi thriller aspects that the show was kind of um, renowned for in season one. But it just ended up being another um, of those Max-Liz plot devices. By the time season two ends... Um, everything is more or less resolved. Tess is pregnant, though, with Max's baby. By the time season two ends, Tess is pregnant with Max's baby, and they have to return to their home planet in order for their baby to survive because it's believed that the the the, the baby cannot survive in Earth's atmosphere, that the baby will be fully alien um, and d- not have any of the human DNA necessary to survive on this planet. So Max is busy searching for a killer that's on the loose, and to get rid of that person before they make the journey to leave. Michael ultimately decides to stay though for Maria. Not really sure why that relationship is dysfunctional as all hell, but he believes he loves Maria and Maria loves him. Um, and that's how season two wraps it up. Like um, everybody is working on a tight timeline because Max is really trying to get um, Tess and their baby out of here.
1: It's actually a much more annoying, more dramatic ending. Um just as they're about to leave, they find out that Tess killed Alex or whatever.
0: And that's why nobody goes, yeah,, Ooh, I don't know why we had to make her the killer, but okay. it's so um
1: unfortunate. It's like I know we've talked about Tess a lot, but it's like they've made her the central. they end they just made her the central villain for no for a reason that I. I don't know. And I'm
0: not mad at it. I'm just like, like I said before, if you introduce her in such a way to polarize her, make her the villain, lean into it. What they were doing though on the show was actually giving me whiplash. You introduce this nice girl, then she becomes the, the wedge in between the Max and Liz relationship. Then... Liz does max dirty or so he believes he goes to test for comfort and she's all kind and nurturing and they have sex and their relationship is predetermined and predestined, but then she's the killer pick one. What is she? Is she a villain or is she not a villain? Just let me
1: know. And that's what happens. And, and then Tess, um, goes to her home planet by herself
0: one of the other things that it did that was really fucked up was that was how we found out that she murdered alex apparently kyle had witnessed this and tess had done a mind warp on him so not only did she kill alex but the manner in which everything went down simultaneously um sabotages the relationship that she had with kyle as well
1: right a relationship that for all intents and purposes she had talked about how she really valued and we saw that she really valued and they just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I
0: know y'all y'all want to make her evil so that you can give Max an excuse to be with Liz, but just like y'all could have had her evil from jump. I love a good villainess.
1: I think it's more interesting to just like make the relationship complicated. Like either of these two people could be good, could be formidable. It's just not, this just isn't working or it's just not going to happen because of you know, other sort of emotional reasons. I always think that's the more interesting choice, but whatever, that's fine.
0: Okay, yeah, um, I agree with all those points. Um, I think it is the more difficult, but the more interesting choice to give someone the choice between two equally matched partners um they did it on tvd um when elena had to finally choose between uh Demption uh, uh damon that was that had made amends and was still making amends versus stefan and one of the best examples in recent memory in my mind is on jane the virgin when jane had to choose ultimately between Raphael and michael on numerous occasions and we knew that they were both compatible suitable partners for her um, you didn't have to make one evil in order to um, completely remove the other as an option. I think that's that's the easy way out. And with the test character in particular, because of the way they flipped flopped in the way that they wanted to portray her, it just doesn't hit the way that it should have. It's like, oh, we just we need to we need to cut this loose end. That's how it felt to me.
1: Right. It And then it also felt like, oh, there here's this character that like everyone hates. Let's just like get rid of her. Pretty much. But not even just
0: let's let's get rid of her. It's like, let's get rid of her and your unborn child. Um, Like, what a a great excuse for Max to be a deadbeat, though. Right? So what do we think of season two? Good, bad, or basic? I think I'm giving it a basic. You better than me, because I'm giving this a bad. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, fam. I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do any of this. (laughs) I couldn't do any. It's just so much. I just... So season three is the last season of Roswell and it has 18 episodes. 18 uh, episodes and we realize that Max and Isabel ended up staying as well. Max and Isabel ended up staying as well and he and Liz are back to seeing each other because who would have thunk, right? Then they do this thing that was completely unnecessary. Alex's ghost shows up for reasons. (laughs)
1: That's a... (sighs) I don't even want to acknowledge that, and he sh- and the ghost shows
0: up when she's like, when Isabel is with like like a new dude. Yes, she's seeing Jesse, who she marries this season, Uh-oh. and then she's got like okay. I feel like they were they were doing some eleventh hour construction of the Isabel character because like we'd previously said the Max and Isabel characters were not fully actualized going into season one. And with the Isabel character in particular, Catherine Heigl had to infer a lot and put a lot of personality into that character. But in season three, we get this whole thing where she's seeing the Alex's ghost. She's dealing with Jesse. And Kavar shows up awakening her former self, Valandra, in an attempt to manipulate her again. So much is going on in such a brief expanse of time with just this one character. It feels like overkill. So by this
1: time, they had, the show had basically gotten by on the skin of its teeth. So it was supposed to be canceled. (laughs) Season two, the show was supposed to be over. Like, WB had canceled that shit. It was done. But like we said, Roswell was a cult classic. So at the time. We brought it
0: back, girl. (laughs) um,
1: At the time, you had uh, a bunch of, like, Roswell fans who sent in, like, Who started sending like Tabasco sauce to the network? It was like this whole before before people just sat and like tweeted hashtags save OA with like weird fan cams. um, Y'all, I guess you had to do like real shit. So like the community, like like all the fans started sending in Tabasco sauce. So the network decided to the network decided to keep it. Like they were like, oh, I guess like people they they're dedicated, they're dedicated fans who watch the show. But ultimately, WB didn't keep it. They they just threw it to UPN. So, the, um, and this is one, like, I think a lot of WB's Supernatural shows were, like, moving to, to UPN. Um, I think Buffy's on UPN by now. I think uh, Roswell's on UPN. Uh, Battlestar Galactica will be on UPN eventually. Lots of sci-fi stuff on UPN. It shouldn't have survived. And, like, honestly, it shows. I feel like this third season shows. <laughs> shows that like they thought that they weren't that they were going to get canceled because it just feels like oh we're just doing whatever.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. They were kind of yeah, just doing whatever. I don't want to say two things really 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 quickly. Um the first is that Twitter fingers are fast. A snail mail is slow. These they these fans invested in buying the tobaccos, tabasco sauce and then invested their time And money into mailing it in so um i feel like if roswell had been out at the time of like social media presence they might have even gotten a fourth season just from the strength and the zeal of these viewers right because it's easy to tweet something and put a hashtag on there but i went to the store and bought my tabasco and then paid to have that package sent to you to save my favorite show that's commitment same that's same That's real love and devotion right there. But um, like I said, season three is all over the place. With the Isabel character alone, it's, in, it's so fucking much. It's so much, you guys. So much that could have been spread out, information about her character that could have been spread out throughout the seasons. The g- ghost of Alex didn't need to be here. I don't know why they married this girl off in season three. I don't know. I don't know, don't understand, will never understand. Liz goes to boarding school in Vermont. Maria's offered a recording contract. What is this? This was like the most Degrassi season ever. (laughs) 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 What the fuck is happening?
1: (laughs) Like it's the most Degrassi, it is the most Degrassi season ever. So let's start with Isabel. So Isabel is dating Jesse Ramirez, who, by the way, isabelle is only 18
0: at this point and jesse is 26 we've seen worse we've talked about worse age gaps honestly (laughs) but yeah it's it's a lot i don't know what's going on and i'm not really sure why her her parents fuck with this but okay
1: also i want to say the the appearance of jesse feels a lot like The show was like, oh, shit, this is in New Mexico. Lots of Latinx and and Native people live here. Maybe we should have some on the show.
0: Right, because the show had been overwhelmingly white before that. Like, Maria's last name is DeLuca, and we're to infer... That her father was uh, a Mexican, but like we never see this dude because her father's not in her life. Um, (laughs) But I I actually think that the Jesse character could have served the purpose of being like a skin of being Kavar. Like having Kavar and Jesse be two separate characters for me, it it made even less sense to introduce the Jesse character in the first place.
1: Right. And it's like, it feels weird that the Jesse character is there when when Kyle is right there. You know what I mean? It's a romantic interest.
0: Kyle is a romantic interest. She's still not really over Alex, which is why the ghost is here, right? So to have her be with Jesse and feel these feelings for him to the point of marriage, for me, it would have made more sense if he was Kavar and he'd just been manipulating her mind this entire time.
1: Yeah, it would have made more sense. It would have been more interesting because my biggest... That's, like, probably, like, my biggest note. I was, like, why are they introducing this Jesse character when Kyle is literally right there? Like, this doesn't right. make any sense to me.
0: It was uh, a lot. And, like I said, like, the the, the, the Jesse character being Kavar would have also made sense in the fact that this relationship with Jesse seems rushed, And in a lot of instances, seems forced. So again, if he was Kavar manipulating her, her wanting to be with him and rushing to marry him would have made some semblance of sense on her part. This is the only thing that uh, that Isabel has ever done, marrying Jesse. I mean, that doesn't seem at all thought out.
1: Also, Liz goes through what I call the bellification of Liz Parker.
0: (laughs) Did you say the bellification? Yeah. I cannot. Uh, and I know And the, the fact, the weird thing is, this is a word you just made up and I know exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's
1: so good. I'm like, that's like, I was like, I came up with it. And I was like, oh, that's smart. I'm they so proud of Basic me. as fuck. <laughs> basic ass fuck. Basic. They made her basic as hell. And I was like, what happened? I mean, the season opens with her going on this weird Bonnie and Clyde trip with Max. And I'm like, what's
0: happening? And then they like, don't they rob a convenience store or something? Yes! Which is literally completely out of character for the both of them. They were established as being incredibly honest people from jump.
1: Right. Very honest, very morally upright. I mean, that's why the Max character is always so like annoyed with Michael is because... Michael just sort of does whatever. And Max is like, no, you can't do that. You can't just like steal or do whatever. <laughs> even right. though, um, even though Michael has a right to sort of, I think, take that approach to life, considering he is emancipated and working poor. Right.
0: He right. more than
1: anybody knows how knows how the world works. So like Max's pedantic speeches to Michael always come off like You know, at least to me, I roll worthy because it's like you don't live the life that that Michael does. Max, maybe you should just hush.
0: He's always speaking from a place of not just authority, but privilege. Right. Um, Like he has this this presumed authority and this privilege of literally having parents who made sure that he and his sister want for nothing. Um, And they don't, they're not just well loved, they're well taken care of. It's it's made very clear that Max and Isabel's adoptive parents shower them with gifts and luxuries. Um, But now you're getting on Michael about stealing some food when if you were a real friend, you would have just brought him some? Right. And... (laughs) yeah yeah and these two rob the convenience store it makes no fucking sense because it's not even like you can say one of them pressured the other to do it this is not in character for either of them but it is a reason that they used to to send liz off to this boarding school
1: right so like basically liz's parents get even more involved and they're like we're worried about how attached you are to max which fair and they're like, we're going to send you off. And and they do. Oh, Liz also gets powers this season. Why? Who knows?
0: So that they can make her and Max match. Because we know that she can't really be with him and have a life with him as a fully human person. So we need to make her special. It's like you said before, the Bellification, right? Because Bella had to go through her final arc of becoming a vampire so she could actually have a future with, with um, Edward.
1: Yeah, because the real knit nitty gritty dirty of it is it like she's not supposed to be with him anyway she they're they're fundamentally incompatible unfortunately
0: yes intrinsically incompatible you cannot go, get over that hump unless you give her powers which they right. did which was ridiculous so another thing that happens this season which is fucking ridiculous you guys is that Tess comes back to Earth with the baby because the baby was apparently conceived just from the human parts of their DNA.
1: Or, yeah, the baby ended up being fully human.
0: Right, which I feel was just, like, an excuse to, like, promote that adoption narrative and make sure that Tess didn't raise the baby.
1: I hate this episode. Like, I hate this episode. (laughs) Terrible. It's so awful. She comes back. And the baby is fully human, so basically, it was the baby was rejected, and she couldn't. And um, the baby was rejected, and like they wouldn't put the baby on the throne, so they were going to die. Uh, Kavar and them kids were going to kill both of them, so she ran and and came back to Earth, and then she commits suicide for no reason. And leaves the baby with like fucking Max of all these fucking people. Of all the fucking people. Leaves I'm the not ba- even mad at it.
0: Because now we've established that Tess is a villain, villain, right? She killed Alex. So she's a definitive villain now. You stop playing back and forth with our emotions. Cool. But you found out that she killed Alex. And your response to this is to let her go home and raise your child alone. Someone that you know is a murderer. Make that make sense.
1: I can't see that's the thing like I can't even be mad at the fact that she killed Alex because like even her killing Alex doesn't make particularly any sense. I really don't like it. I don't I just don't like any of it. <laughs> None of it is like like I like it. Like I get it. I still like the character. Um I don't think I'm ever not going to like it cuz I think I I don't know, there's something there that I really deeply empathize with. I just hate the choices. I don't like any of these choices. I don't, from, just from jump.
0: Isabel's husband and her mother work together to try to find out Max and Isabel's secret, which is crazy because I feel like their mother already knew prior, and like she just wants, she just wants like concrete evidence. Um, But he discovers it and he encourages them to tell her parents the truth. uh isabel ultimately leaves her husband to in order to save his life but so she has to abandon the person she loves but max and liz end up getting married okay because <laughs> it's like a whole
1: thing like they discover jesse and isabel get married that happens like mid-season three and then he finds out she's an alien and he flips and then her parents find out but like the way they find out they find out essentially by spying on her because they set up a video camera to like record her and that's how they figure it out and somehow this tape ends up in the hands of the fbi and so now the feds once again are like coming for them which feels it feels like the fbi is like three two seasons ago so why are they back now like pick a struggle. Like either there are these extenuating circumstances with Tess and Kavar and all this drama, or you want your uh, antagonists to be like human based. So like the FBI, CIA, whatever, like pick one because the back and forth between the two is like really um, jarring actually um, in the narrative. But so the feds are on their, their trail again. And Liz is in the final stages of being Bella Swan. So she has these powers now. And then like she can also like see the future. And she sees that like the feds are coming for them. So um they so yeah, like Max proposes and then they get married and then they like leave Roswell when they graduate.
0: Yeah so here's the thing they were supposed to go back to home to their planet to restore order they did not do that then they decided the well if Tess goes back with my son that will restore order but the sun is fully human so that didn't happen either so like technically logically both your home planet and earth are still in danger yes you've literally accomplished nothing right uh yeah Okay, (laughs) I'm just trying to see because this is what the show said, and this is what did not happen. So there's still ethnic cleansing happening in your homeland, and the skins will ultimately come back to Earth to fuck. But I mean,
1: I don't know. He never, he never cared. Like I just, I don't think Max ever cared.
0: He never did. I mean, hashtag Fuck my homeland was pretty much his motto.
1: Yeah, like. Which, I mean, I guess that's on brand for, like, the messaging of the entire series. I guess fine.
0: He reminds me of some of these first gens who are like, uh, no, I'm not fill-in-the-blank American. I'm just American. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Whatever.
1: <laughs> I guess so. None of it makes sense. Like, it's just, it's all jarring. Like, I don't think. And then it ends. Yeah, they get married. They all get in this car. Liz and Max get married they all get in this car And then they drive away and like that's The end that's the series It's not good I don't think I would have Made any of these choices I think I Would have just Cut like All the stuff with Tess And like Kavar and all that Shit and just made The the conflict Um Just made the conflict like The FBI or the CIA are onto Them or something And that would be, we would just find new stuff like in that vein to, to power through the seasons.
0: Right. Um, I, I, I say that Maria and, and Michael were pretty toxic couple. I still stand by that. I would have liked a reworking of Roswell where the test character does show up, but she's with Michael and she kind of helps him with his anger management issues, Maria and, um not kyle because their parents started dating but maria and alex ultimately become a couple um the jesse characters introduce and in the beginning of season two and he happens to be um kavar and when um he's taken out in season two maybe isabel and kyle start dating in season three this is how i would have reworked those those elements of roswell but I told you guys I thought season two was bad. I think season three is very bad. (laughs) Same.
1: And I would have, like, I wouldn't even know, like, I would have, like, all the Kavar, Kavar, Home Planet, all that extenuating stuff, I would have completely cut all of that. Because unless you're ready to, like, commit to that in a real way, like, I think it's just, I think it's just clutter. Like, because you're never going to be able to resolve that in a way that's satisfying because that's also one of my biggest notes i think in general with the series is like there's all this other really cool stuff happening in regards to like their royal line and like there's like a whole planet and like but like you can't they they don't like none of it really gets resolved and none of it is really that satisfying and it all feels like clutter because you care more about, like, this sort of teen element of it, which is fine. Like, great. Let's do it. So um, you care more about this teen element. You care more about this human element. You care more about this assimil- like this assimilationist message. So then just stick with that. Like, um mm.
0: Well, understand when I say I would do these rewrites, I, I also don't agree with the show's assimilation as a message and I would have more leaned more heavily into the sci-fi element of it. But I understand with the current group of writers and the showrunner on the show at the time, that probably wouldn't have worked out well either.
1: Um, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Just, just cut it. Like, like, and that's fine. Like, I can see and then also I can see like a network not like being into like that anti-assimilationist message. So I'm just like, but like, but right now it's just clutter. Like it's the stuff with Kavar, unless you're unless you're gonna have episodes where like they go back to their home planet and you commit to like showing this home planet and you commit to this like other location, which is like a lot, don't do it. Like, so like just let their let all their antagonists be human. That's fine. I think that I think you can still have like a really rich story if you make all their antagonists human I think you still have this very rich story of like people being afraid of the other and like what does that mean and and how do you adjust for that and how do you live with that but you still have all of that and and you can explore those ideas and 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 all of that stuff keep it CIA CIA FBI military it can you know increase each year and and I think if they had kept it like that like that it, the show could have worked part of my issue with the maria and michael thing is like maria will always be like why don't you buy me things why don't you like take me out to nice dinners why don't you do this i'm like I he's he's work like,
0: <laughs> and you know what she's you and, and she's saying this to someone who's not exactly wealthy herself right so I'm it's like, not even like this is the lifestyle you're accustomed to you're just you're just entitled you're just entitled and it's like. He pays his own bills at like 17, <laughs> like crazy, like, crazy. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah. I think, I honestly think that they, they constantly brought out the worst in each other. And Michael had an anger management problem that was already like existing separate from Maria. I think he could have used some of that nice, calm, nurturing energy that Tess had. I think that's a relationship that definitely ultimately could have saved her life and saved the trajectory of her character but yeah, th- th- those were my couplings. I wanted Maria, Alex, Isabel, Kyle, Michael, Tess, and Max, Liz. Since since we gotta have Max and Liz, I guess.
1: <laughs> so I did actually appreciate the adult presence on Roswell. Funny enough. These kids have parents, y'all. They have parents and they do things. And they're like, and they, and the parents are like actually around. <laughs> um which I liked like I really like when Liz's dad puts his foot down in season three and is like I am sending you away to boarding school like this cannot continue
0: yeah I I was I was here for it too um because he doesn't even know Max is an alien right but what he does know is that he doesn't want his um teenage daughter to get pregnant (laughs) right (laughs) or he knows that like he's Or he
1: understands that this boy that used to be just like harmless is now like an active negative influence in his daughter's life.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Because if you, if if you listen, if you're robbing couples with your little boyfriend, I'm not here for it. Like, y'all need to. Any good parent would be like, no, no, ma'am, no, (laughs) ma'am, no, ma'am. Like, uh, and there uh, and it
1: happens. There is like there. There's like this really amazing scene where like mm, is Liz's parents and, and Max's parents like come together and they all talk about what's going on with Max and Liz, and it really, it's great and it grounds the series in a way that's really wonderful. And the most I can say is um something that Roswell did that something that Roswell um really illuminated for me was that part of maintaining the sort of realism or like the grounding of teen shows uh you have to do a couple of things because by season three they're like we don't see them in class anymore right like they're just like not in Mm -hmm. school but their parent but their parents are around there's an increase of like their parents' presence in season three Which I was like, oh, that's how you, that's how you really ground these series is you either have to have a strong adult presence, or these kids have to actually be in school.
0: Right, right, right. And I mean, so many things they tried to do that I felt were too little too late. This broad character arc with Isabel in season three, y'all could have spaced that shit out. These parents and their involvement, literally the only parent we'd seen be truly involved prior to this were Amy, Maria's mom. And Sheriff Valenti, Kyle's dad. Right. We see, like, a
1: little bit of Max and Isabel's parents. We see them. They just, the thing about them is, like, they don't really have personalities. Right. And the way that um, Sheriff Valenti and Maria's mom, those actors were very strong and had these, like, really distinct personalities. I mean, I think about Maria's mom, who, she's, like, hilarious. And when she calls Maria, because, like, Maria and Michael have gone to see, like, laurie dupree or whatever when when maria's mom is like listen do not get high on peyote do not like get naked in the field Mm -hmm. (laughs) make sure she has fun and if i find out you guys had sex i will kill you like the dog you are
0: (laughs) i love amy and i think michael respects her a great deal because she's so protective of maria um, which was interesting to see, but yeah, like I said, Maria was really irritating the first time I watched Roswell. Even though I still liked her, but this time I think I was less irritated by her and more amused that she's like, she's 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 a a little a nice little palate cleanser, a nice little reminder that this was a teen drama after all. Um, but yeah, Maria and Michael toxic toxic city i wouldn't have made a test character a villain but alex wouldn't have died the kavar jesse character i probably would have introduced him at the end of season one and yes they would have been one person alex is probably the only person whose character arc i would keep the same from beginning to end i mean not alex kyle 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 i think made tremendous growth and didn't endure a heinous character assassination and that
1: actor is so great. He's just, he's just fun. He's like, he. I think Kyle is great from beginning to end. Even in the first season, I really like Kyle. I think he's fun. I think he's kind of goofy. Even in that first season, they sort of write Kyle initially as like this sort of jock, but he doesn't, even then he doesn't really fit into that um, archetype that well. And I, I like the way he always deals with Liz. He's always like, even when he's upset at her, he's just sort of like, well, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. I just, I liked Kyle. Kyle was was really great.
0: Now, you know how I feel about season one, Kyle. I wasn't fucking with him, but I'm glad they didn't kill him off. And they just gave him this great <laughs> this great character arc. Um, I feel like he just just really blossomed as a person and I was here for it. I think in the end Michael made some pretty decent growth as well but man that was a lot undesirable with the series particularly with this last season it the last season it's in particularly that season finale left a really bad taste in my mouth yeah um so I like I said I give this a very bad what grade do you give season three It's bad it's not good I just, uh, yeah, I hate to say it. Great characters, great concept, but poor execution.
1: Yeah, that after that first season, the execution is just not. It's very poor.
0: Um, I mean, it was in that first season that they they started messing with the test character. So even then, like the writing was on the wall, right? It was. Oh, that's clever. Um, yeah, I just that. Oh,
1: it's just listen. Oh boy said that he did not set out to do a sci-fi series and it shows
0: but like this is my thing and this is where i'm, I'm back in this mindset now i'm even more angry knowing this because it's like no one made you no <laughs> one said you had to <laughs> so if you de- didn't want to why did you <laughs> no. You know, you know what GIF is appropriate for this—that GIF where like the girl isn't in, isn't in white face and she's painting on clown makeup. Yes, the clown. <laughs> that's the that's the gif for this situation. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Well. It, well, it, it, it was a lot. Listen, there's other showrunners. There's other writers. It didn't have to be you, fam. Go. Go where your flowers are being watered. Go where your your, your potential (laughs) flourish. (laughs) And it (laughs) needs to be you. As we will discover later on in the supernatural season, there are people that understand sci-fi and really love it and lean into it. And we get to see the amazing fruits of that labor coming up.
1: Coming up. (laughs) folks this is everything that we think made roswell good bad basic yet iconic if you'd like to check out the series roswell is currently streaming on hulu please let us know your thoughts on this series via our twitter or instagram if you're a gbb patron on our top two tiers be sure to check out our roswell spotify playlist if you've enjoyed this episode of the good the bad the basic be sure to share it with your friends Tune in next week when we'll be diving into the first four seasons of the WB's fantasy drama, The Original Charmed. If you'd like to check out the series before then, Charmed is currently streaming on Netflix.
0: Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all our major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.